Hey folks, uh, Gavin Roth here with another installment of the Roth Revenue Podcast, Influencers of Sponsorship Marketing Series. And uh, thrilled to be sitting down uh, with Dan McKenzie uh, today. Uh, Dan is Vice President and Managing Director at NBA Canada. Um, it's been what, about 14 years, maybe more? How long? Yeah, I've done two stints. So That's I was, right. uh, my first job was, I ran Hoop It Up. Remember Hoop It Up, NBA yeah. Hoop It Up? Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. sort of my first, that, and did some work with Canada Basketball and a bunch of grassroots programs. Did that for about five, and then I left uh, for four in Canada. I went to Europe for a year with the NBA and okay. ran the, the Europe Games at the time uh, out of uh, France. Out of, our head wow. office at the time was in Paris. And then I came back, and I left the NBA and went to TSN. That's and right. Then, and then I've been back. Uh, I was there for a short, fairly short stint, and then um, 14 years back. So Who says we, you can't we, go home, right? Exactly. So it's been 19 years all when you add it 19 all 19 all in. Because I was trying to do the math where you – because the Raptors came into existence in 95. So where were you? So that's uh, 23 years. Yeah, so I started in uh, I started in 98. Yes, okay, so yeah. just after. And were they still playing out of the Rogers Center or Skydome or whatever? No, they were, they were, they were in, in. Uh, they were in the Air Canada Center. Yeah. And are you allowed to say that? Do you get? Do you have to put a, well, a dollar? Can, a Air, dollar. Air, Air Canada Center at the time. Yes, exactly. And now, and now Scotiabank. <laughs> Given your office is is now in in the building, right? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, before we get started, um, I'd be remiss if we uh, if we didn't talk a little basketball. I'm a huge basketball fan. Um, you know, I, I always tell people I'm a big big raptor fan i've got two daughters 20 and 18 my 18 year old daughter and i share an absolute you know hardcore love of the raptors and i think part of it even more than the leafs because they were born on our watch right like they came into existence when you know after we came into existence right um and we've gone through the highs and lows and and everything so i just love the sport and and you know i was thinking about your journey and and the the incredible rise of Canada of basketball in Canada, um, no shortage of um, the the credit should go to the fact that there has been an, an NBA team and teams in mm -hmm. Canada mm -hmm. right during during that period. Just, just talk a, bit, a little bit about basketball in Canada and you know the, um, and maybe also just your thoughts on the season ahead for the Raptors. Sure. So, I mean, it's been, I've been very fortunate, obviously, to work in a sport that has seen such tremendous growth. And, you know, I often get asked, you know, what's the reason why? And what, you know, and, and, and I don't think there's any one reason. There's been, you know, first of all, a ton of uh, great work by a lot of great people and a lot of great organizations. Um, but I think when you look at, you know, a combination of obviously having teams in the market originally with the Grizzlies and the Raptors. And then um, once the Grizzlies moved to, to uh, Memphis, um, the Raptors really, you know, changed their approach uh, to really, you know, become Canada's team and really mm -hmm. push the national angle. And we uh, kind of, along with them, have tried to help, you know, help in that in that in that area. And there's been times where, uh, so you know, the, the the biggest one is through broadcast. So we modified our broadcast deal, and and now every Raptor game gets broadcast nationally. They're yeah. the only team in the NBA where that's the case. All the other teams have ge geographical restrictions for their broadcasts. Okay. But the Raptors can broadcast every game nationally and that's done in partnership with the league yeah. uh, in this office. So that, that, that's been, that's been I think a pretty big piece. And then we've worked, 
you know, collaboratively on um, on things like the MBA Canada series, whereby um, you know, in the, we just literally came out of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, the last few weeks we were in Vancouver on the 29th of September. We were uh, for the Raptors and the Blazers, and then we were in Montreal <coughs> last Wednesday for the um, the Nets and the Raptors. Yeah. And they they've been great about helping us uh, in those on those games and playing in a majority of them. There are times when either they choose not to for for you know whatever reasons, travel reasons, or sometimes they have, they do have to travel internationally. So in it's been nice because there's always an opportunity for us to bring up other NBA teams as well. So, um, but those are a couple of the sort of the you know parts of the strategy that have been um, employed to try to you know generate well, fandom. Yeah. Um, I think you know, and then you look at other. So the fact that you know we had teams in the market is a big piece. We, we have a media footprint that supports you know uh, more games and more games with Canadian content, which is which is a driver. Um, we've had a tremendous um, amount of success on the on the development of players. So, mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of having Cana- more Canadians in the NBA, again, whether whether it's Canada basketball, the provincial basketball associations, the A, some of the AEU programs, um, tons of amazing work and dedication and commitment from these athletes and their families, um, which has resulted in now we have the you know other than the U.S. the next country that has the most amount of NBA players is Canada. Is that right? It is, wow. and and and, and the, the nice thing is is it's not a fluke. So yeah. this year, um, that I makes sense. so so you know what? As we're sitting here, I one of the things I'll get one of the pieces of information I'll get today mm-hmm. is the rosters, finalized mm-hmm. rosters, and what are, what what are the number of Canadians, and our expectation is we'll either be at eleven, twelve, or higher, which will which will you know put us uh, at number two likely, um, and the um, it, the pipeline's not not shut. Yeah. Right. You, next year, and so in this year's so in this year's draft, the 2019 draft, some experts are predicting that there's going to be five Canadians in the first round, including potentially the number one pick if R.J. Barrett uh, ends, up, right. ends, up, right, ends up going number the one. Duke. He's playing at Duke. Yeah. Star. So so you know the pipeline continues, and and the other thing that's interesting about basketball and such the growth is um, it's not just guys. Our women's national team is in the top five in the world. Mm. Um, we have four players in the WNBA, uh, so it's a sport that the the benefits yeah. of elite competition have been occurring to the female side as well, yeah. which has been great. And then I think the last thing when you talk about the growth of the sport, and this is more probably from a fan perspective, is we've really been on the right side of some of the immigration trends. And so when you look at the countries consistently year yeah. after year, where um, uh, where um, Immigrants are coming to Canada from. Yeah, they're coming from China. They're coming from the Philippines. Mm-hmm. They're coming from Southeast Asia, and those are all countries, especially the China and the Philippines, mm-hmm. where basketball is immensely popular. So, as you come to Canada, as you adjust to a new life, basketball becomes part of, you know, because you knew it back home and you loved it back home, mm-hmm. it becomes part of your acclimatization process. And we've seen now. All you need to do is go to Jurassic Park, yeah. you know, uh, during the playoffs, and you can see, or, or go to a Raptor game, and yeah. you see the diversity so of the crowd. It really yeah. is a nice reflection of the city. I agree. So um, it's a very different feel from attending a Leaf game or many other sporting events, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it's it really is diverse and speaks yeah. to very inclusiveness. Uh, totally. I think it's great. And the and, and then there's also been there's there have been some personalities that have played mm. huge roles and you know with the you know the one that gets talked about the most is obviously Vince Carter and yeah, yeah. you know the fact that in the early Insanity. part of the, yeah. yeah and in the early part of um, you know the Raptors' existence he became a you know a national pheno- international phenomenon yeah. 
and he played here and he played in Toronto and so he I think when you when you interview a lot especially a lot of the younger mm-hmm. NBA players who are from Canada and not actually not just Canadian players yeah. but a lot of Canadian players would say their hero when they growing up was Vince Carter another one of course is Steve Nash yes. so you know um, who who when I left the house and my my daughter said what you got today and I mentioned I'm meeting with you and she said uh how oh, cool! Um, please make sure you you say hello to uh, Steve Nash for me. So, <laughs> so, so whenever you see Steve, uh, you you tell tell him that uh, Taylor Roth says hello. <laughs> okay. I'm sure he's uh, he's dying to hear that news, but right. uh, he is such a, a treasure, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And his and his, you know, his um, career was just so um, inspiring for young yeah. Canadian players because Steve Nash isn't. Yeah. 6'10 and you know 270 Steve Nash yeah. looks like you and I and yeah. he, but between his dedication his commitment better hair practice, than me better, better hair, hair than me yes, yes exactly yes. better yeah. hair than both of us yes actually. yes yes but um, anyway so so real inspiration and, and showed a lot of young Canadian kids that any, you know, anyone can do it you just have yeah. to put in the time and the effort and have some you know get the breaks and well we, so. we both worked in in the sports space and that topic that just pausing on that for a second um, hey I, I, you know, I think of a guy, and even though he's not Canadian, but he really made his mark in Canada. But it kind of reminds me of a parallel in football, Doug Flutie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this whole notion that scouts, and you go back to the movie Moneyball, right? This whole notion that scouts have grown up with this idea that you have to be six whatever, two whatever, you know, arm strength or you know height or whatever. Um, all these this this box that they kind of put the prototypical what they don't measure is the head and the heart and that's what Steve Nash yeah. had that separated him he was smart his IQ um, and his heart I mean yeah. it, it, and so quintessentially Canadian in that respect um, he would outwork everybody and I think of a guy like Doug Flutie in another sport mm-hmm. that same thing he, he, he wasn't given his chance because of his height but his head and his heart, right, um, uh, made him a star. Uh, but Nash, uh, it just makes me think of that. He is a great example of that. So Totally. Yeah. And, and the yeah. messaging is fantastic. I mean, great teammate. Yes. You know, uh, work ethic was unparalleled. It's funny, we were out, so we were out in, um, in BC a couple weeks ago, and we dedicated a court to Steve um, called Steve Nash Family Court. And on hand at the induction ceremony was Isaiah Thomas, mm. and Isaiah Thomas Another. is a similar similar player, like You're I, right. you know the original I, Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. It, and Steve had said that Isaiah yeah. was his hero growing up. Because um, what six foot six one six, maybe six feet six one? I think I think he I think he was listed as six one, but yeah. when you, I mean, you know, they one, never one, are, one of the right? yeah. one of the greatest um, fan experiences I had was watching, and I hated the Pistons. Yes, oh, I, yeah. I hated oh, it. Yeah. Who did? Who did? But that game when he uh, sprained his ankle yes. and then scored like, was it twenty five or twenty six yeah, on yeah, a sprained ankle? Yeah, yeah. And they had to basically carry him off the floor. Like, yeah. What talk about heart and grit and you know willing your team to victory? It was yeah. one of the one of the best. Can't coach that. You right? can't. Yeah. You can't. Good stuff. So, um, so let's uh, let's maybe start with. Um, and I, yeah, I can go on. We could sit all day. I know you don't have all day. The season's around the corner. Uh, and talk basketball. Uh, but let's talk about your your path in sponsorship marketing and sports marketing. How did you, we talked about 19 years in total at NBA Canada, yet yep. stint at uh, TSN. Uh, how did you break into the field? Sure, so I came through a bit of a, uh, it wasn't a traditional path 
by any means. Um, my first career, so, so I, my, I did my undergrad degree in commerce with a specialization in marketing. So that's where I got, I think, you know, some of the grounding and the marketing principles. And I loved marketing. And I, you know, in a perfect world, I would have, my plan going in was to do my BCom and then get into consumer packaged goods. That's what I was thinking I was going to do. But when I graduated in 1992, it was right dead in the middle of the recession. Yeah, oh yeah, we were the same. Yeah, and, yeah. I think I was 93, yeah. And there wasn't a lot of jobs uh, yeah. in, in marketing. I mean, I think on-campus recruiting, they interviewed 150 of us and three people got jobs. So anyway, not a lot of opportunity. So I ended up going back. So I'm originally from Guelph, Ontario, and my parents are both educators and my sister's an educator. So I come from a family of teachers and I went back and I just started supply teaching because I needed to make some money and I lived at home. And, and as I supply taught, I ended up, um, I ended up getting into teachers. So I did that for a year and then I got into teachers college and I, so I, I became a school teacher and I taught for a couple of years. So the, and the one thing that about that job that that affected my ability to get into the business was I did a ton of coaching. So I coached for three years and I, and I coached actually some pretty, um, at the time, kids who went on to become pretty good players. Well, the one team, one, the one school I coached at, St. James High School in Guelph, ended up going on and they won OFSA a couple years later. So some really strong kids. Um, and so when, so right around the mid nineties when this was all going on, um, uh, in my last year when I was teaching, um, the new government came into uh, Ontario. Uh, the Conservatives came in, and Mike Harris's government was going to go after the the educate the teaching field. And so our union had said to us, "Listen, you guys should figure out what you're going to to the young teachers. You should figure out what you're going to do next year." So I ended up searching out and finding this George Brown program, and I just I, I went down the path and I got in. And so I made that shift, and mm -hmm. I got out of teaching and went into George Brown, and. Um, and when I, and while I was at George Brown, there was, and it was in March of that year, uh, the NBA put a posting in our program for a summer internship at the NBA. And so I applied and I went through the process. And after I got hired, uh, I was told that the reason why I got the job was because of all the coaching experience that I had. And because, because the, the position that I got hired to do was to um, basically do an analysis and do research on the state of amateur basketball in Canada. Where are kids playing? How good are the provincial basketball associations? What's the high school scene like? You know, if the NBA were going to get involved in helping to grow the sport, what would, what would you do? Et cetera, et cetera. Very so cool. because I was around the game, I, I had the opportunity to get in. But again, I was very focused on um, more the fan development and event management mm -hmm. side. Um, and I was fortunate to get hired right before the 98 lockout. Um, there was a hiring freeze coming in on March 1st. Mm. And I think my hire Just date was in. February 27th. So I, I literally got in right, right under the wire. Wow. Wow. And, um, and then, so I, I was more on the event side. And, and again, the, the big program that we ran at the time was NBA Hoop It Up. Mm -hmm. So um, my, my um, first sort of foray into sponsorship was really on the activation side mm -hmm. for our sponsors who were Hoop It Up sponsors. And then um, in that early part of my, my career, we, trained, we also at the time, a, a couple years later, took on this, the uh, sales um, uh, function for Canada basketball uh, at the time, so okay. prior to the 2000 Olympics. So that's when I had my first taste of sponsorship. Yeah, was the biz dev side of it, yep. finding new. Yeah. So a bit on the activation side with the events, and yes. then I started to sell. Do you remember uh, with the activation side who a couple of those first sponsors were that you, from an activation standpoint? I always like to think early in my career who... who um, you know, I was with WWE and the CFL and 
those those brands like in my case blockbuster some people yeah. wouldn't even know who blockbuster video is yeah. they extinct now and future shop and nintendo and yeah and, i, I and remember sony and all those yeah i remember who so for the first uh who put out that we had Canadian Tire was yeah. the, was the title sponsor. Heard of them? Yeah, yeah. I think they're still around. <laughs> <laughs> they were the. It was Canadian Tire and Who put up? They were the. They were the title sponsor. Nike was was big. Wow. Uh, back in those Ken Allen and the, his whole crew yeah. back in those days. Um, we had uh, who else was part of that? Uh, Ra Rogers, I think was was on that tour. Um, Wrigley, yeah, was a big sure. partner. Um, Speedstick. Was yeah. a sponsor. Yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. yeah. And it Just, was uh, it was a lot of fun. Good, good. And then so, and let's talk a little bit about the growth within NBA Canada. So you've had multiple roles, always progressing up and up and up. Just how did that all materialize? Sure. Well, when I came back, so as I said, I was in events uh, for the for early part of my career, and then I went to TSN. And I went to, one of the reasons I went to TSN is I wanted to get out of events and broaden my experience. And I wanted to learn the media business because in, in, I knew at some point I wanted to have a you know larger job in sports and media was the driver of a lot of the value. So it gave me an opportunity to, to learn the media business you know, on a deeper level within a network and also meet some people that ended up becoming, looking back, ended up becoming leaders in the industry. So I remember sitting you know, I was two doors down from my office at TSN from uh, Stu Johnston. Hmm. You know, so he Bart Yabsley was uh, he was at the time he was the president of CS, TSN's boss, and he's now over at Sportsnet. So yeah. anyway, I got I got a chance to meet some great people um, who who you know have been really influential in my career going forward. Um, and when I and, and so then when I came back to the when I was at the year I was at TSN was the year that NBA Canada went through a drastic transformation so it went from uh, an office of about 15 to an office of really of to three mm. and and the nba and mlsc entered into this national broadcast deal um whereby the team and the league were going to work together on selling sponsor or selling uh selling the tv rights and monetizing the tv rights and, and of the 15 at nba canada at the time about eight of them or seven of them were on the broadcast side so um it ended and, and and the deal also included a wider swath of rights to, that went to MLSC, um, and so NBA Canada shrunk. Mm -hmm. So when I remember getting the call to come back. The guy who hired me, uh, back, Jack, who called me to come back, was a guy named Andrew Messick, mm -hmm. and he was running international at the time for the NBA. <clears throat> and he said, "Dan, do you want to come back to the NBA?" And you know, I said, "Andrew, what am I coming back to? There's nothing. <laughs> there's yeah. nothing there." And so uh, anyway, he convinced me to come back, and that it was going to be a good opportunity. And what? So from 04 to now, the process, a lot of the process has been kind of building back up, you know, uh, some of the assets and really yeah. determine, trying to, if we're going to have a business, what are the areas that we're going to need to um, be able to satisfy our, you know, whether it be our, our media partners or our licensing partners or our sponsors, um, what are, you know, what are their needs and what are the, what are the areas of yeah. business we need to develop in order to be able to provide value to them. So mm -hmm. it's been a fun ride to be able to, you know, to kind of be there kind of at the ground floor and start to build and hire the right people and, and, um, cool. and, and, and move in the right areas. What, um, so you, you've, um, asset creation is an interesting topic, right? Mm -hmm. All properties, I think, are challenged with that. Uh, you kind of, you have your existing assets, properties, you, you tend to max out on that. 
if you want to create new and find ways to grow revenue, um, or you create new around uh, partners' needs and objectives. Um, so regardless of which of those it falls into, uh, some of the new programs that have come into existence under your tenure here, mm -hmm. we talk about maybe a, a one or two um, sure. initiatives. And, and it really, I guess they're all, you could call them all, you know, activation-driven opportunities to grow the game, but also yep. uh, attract partners. Yeah, so I'd say there's been a real, I'd, I'd say a shift from 04 to now. Um, I think in 04, when you talked about asset creation, you know, a lot of the asset creation, the your mindset went to live events, right? To, to run, you know, things like Hoop It Up. Um, you know, we're a big country. And to run, as you know, from your days, from your career, like activating national programs live on the ground and they're in, in, you know, in, a, in a, the right swath of Canadian markets, it's expensive mm. and it's time consuming and it's hard on your staff. And so, so again, back, back in the day, like from 04, probably from, I'd say there's probably been two phases of our, of our um, asset creation history in the last, I'd say, mm. 14 years. The first half was events, and we ran mall tours and jam van, and th three, we continue with three on three, mm -hmm. and and that model of it's let's a three on three that I'm most familiar with. But yeah, that was curious to hear the others. Yeah, so yeah, that I've forgotten about. And yeah. there's more. Yeah. We we did yeah. school programs, and yeah, yeah. anyway, we we have done a whole bunch of that stuff, mm -hmm. and um, and again, and 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 a lot of it was about trying to kind of bring the brand to life. Um, Lot, you know, in, in a meaningful way for consumers, and and in that realm, again, but this is before the launch of the i. This is before the iPhone was invented. That's how you did it, and I think what we've what we've seen now in the last in the latter seven or eight or nine years has been you know a shift to digital and to mm. and to uh, and to provide more you know, deeper, more immersive experiences through your phone or, or through technology, and so we've really kind of shifted our, our thinking and uh, and our you know our resources our staffing and we've we you know we're trying to to, to, to provide experiences certainly more now. efficient right it's more efficient it's more scalable yeah um, it also ties to what you know partners want want to be associated sure. with but having said all that there's still a need for and there's still a we still do live things on the ground and and I think what we've I think the one thing that we've changed in our philosophy is We've looked at it from the perspective of we're going to commit to doing the things that we feel help build fans. So the reason why the NBA has an office here and has an office in a variety of other countries around the world is we're trying to build basketball NBA fans. That, that's what we're trying to do. And in this market, we're very fortunate that we've got a team here that helps in that. And, and you know, and, and, and the team's goal is to build Raptor fans, which is great because a Raptor fan, an NBA fan, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's part of the same family. Sure. So, so that's fantastic. But we've sort of made the determination that, that um, there's a couple of things that we know are very, we, there's a couple of programs that we think are really important to build fans. And regardless of if we sell one sponsor to them, we think we should do them. One of them is play live games, bring the live experience mm -hmm. outside of Toronto to, to the rest of the country when we can. And that's the NBA Canada series. And then the second one is something called the Junior NBA, which mm -hmm. is all about trying to get, we do know that if you play the sport, your propensity to um, follow watch, it. follow, buy a jersey, buy. go to a game, goes way up. So so part of, you know, we, we so promoting and growing the Junior NBA is yeah. something that we're, 
that we're really committed to. And it's something that Adam, Adam has been our commissioner for four years, Adam Silver, you know, in his first press conference as commissioner, he talked about the importance of the junior MBA and he stuck to it. We've, we, this year, we, we uh, for the first time ever, this past uh, summer, we held the Junior MBA World Championships. So mm. we had an under, it was under 14 so World Championships. So there had never been a Junior MBA World nope, Championships? No, nope. wow. so, so Canada competed in the, in the Worlds. Mm. Um, you know, a, a team from Brampton. How did we do? How did we do? We ended up, so let me get this straight. So we had, we had a boys team from Brampton. We had a girls team from Welland. Mm. Um, both teams did very well in their, in their round robin mm. play. And uh, they ended up, they both ended up losing in the semis or the finals of the international side. Um, the U.S. ended up winning. So it, there was an international pool in the U.S. and Got the U.S. It. had their own pool. So and then we they almost played in the finals. from the yeah, international pool. we almost did. So the, yeah. the, 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 girls, the girls ended up, I think they, and the girls lost in the semis and the boys lost in the finals mm. of the international side to a really talented African team. But um, wow. anyway, so it was... It, you know, that's that's the first year we've ever done it. And we're going to grow yeah. from there. But I think the, the the importance of having you know the junior, junior. MBA be the, the junior program be healthy and growing and thriving sure. is important. So, so those are the two things that again, whether or not we sell sponsorship to them, we, we, we're going to do them. And then and then for all the other things, the the three on three tournaments and the and the um, you know player appearances and all anything else that's live on the ground. If sponsors want, if that's really important to them, that that's a huge part of the deal. It's what they want to do. We will work with them, and more often than not, in a model whereby the spot we'll let the sponsor use our IP and execute, and and we're there to support. But it's not necessarily us doing the heavy lifting because a lot of our partners have great agencies that they work with and they're yeah. experts in this area. And I think we've changed our mindset a little bit to you know we're the only ones who can execute great MBA events, and we're moving more to a model of you know. We don't necessarily, you know, there are other organizations that can do great live on the ground stuff. Let's let them do their thing and, and we can add value. Just give them, yeah, the ground rules when it comes to your sport and your IP. But you're right, you don't need to, uh, I mean, you, you can't possibly take on everything, right? Correct. And you're right, that speaks to the fact that there are more and more agencies, live event, experiential sponsorship marketing agencies, certainly in in Canada, not to mention North America and the world, yeah. that, but even in Canada, that uh, then when we both broke into the industry. Um, so we'll come back to those programs, or maybe one or one or two of those programs um, later, uh, but um, I want to circle back to the theme of mentorship. You, you mentioned, um, you know, you work with some great people. Um, it's just a, it's a topic that's I, I, I'm very passionate about, um, mm -hmm. like you, I'm sure, um, you know, uh, I've had the chance to mentor people, but, but more importantly, I, I look back, or equally important, um, to those who have mentored me. Mm -hmm. um, speak a little bit about those who have influenced your sure. career. So I um, would say, I, 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 un I unfortunately, I wouldn't say that I had a the clear mentor like if yeah. i said who, who's your mentor uh well chris lang would chris be lang. one yeah yeah exactly. you worked for him for a long time yeah. probably yeah. for a yeah. decent part of your career yeah so in my case i worked for some great people but unfortunately just the way the timing worked out yeah i didn't have that person that was there for a, like a like yeah. you know a five ten year period of my career so ken Derrett would have been the first one um you know right off the bat hired, you know hired me at the mba mm -hmm. and gave me opportunity and when you're young you're looking for someone who's going to regardless of what level you're at listen to yeah. you and trust what you say he was all those things and he was he could have been a fantastic mentor if i but he but i worked with him for, for like two years yeah 
uh, and then he was gone. Right. Um, another one was the one who guy who replaced him, a guy named Bill Gasky, who, mm-hmm. who came in and after Ken, um, he was he was great to me, and he was a huge um, huge influence on my career when I was young. But again, we only worked together for a few years, and then NBA, and then I I went to Europe, and then I went to TSN, and NBA Canada changed, and so, you know, so that was a that was a period when uh, again Bill could have been, but it, yeah. it didn't work out that way. Um, and then when at, at TSN, I met some fantastic mm-hmm. people. Um, Rick Chisholm was a guy who oh. who yeah yeah Chis is the best yeah. yeah he's the best, and he was another guy who I'd say when I think back now now that I'm in a, a you know I'm older in my career. <laughs> I'll never forget Rick Chisholm. Um, I was a, I was a, I was an intern. I didn't even have a, I didn't even have a business card. Yeah. And Kenny took me to a meeting with Rick Chisholm, and Kenny knew that I, my boss at the time knew that I knew a bit about the basketball environment, like the grassroots side. And they were doing a show. They were going to be launching a show called NBA in the Paint. I don't mm-hmm. remember that show. Mm-hmm. And Chiz was the producer, executive producer, and. Kenny, we have this big meeting, all these hot shots from TSN, and me and Ken and a few people from our office. I, I am by far the most junior person yeah. in the room. Yeah. So Ken introduces us all and introduces my less, role. Less gray then? I was less gray. Yeah. I had more hair and it was yeah, less gray. Yeah. And um, I'll never forget, the next day, Rick Chisholm, who was the, I don't know if he was executive vice president or executive, whatever. Yeah. He phoned me and he said, Dan, I want your opinion on something. You know, we're doing this show and we don't know who we should talk to. And I'll never forget. I was so, yeah. I was glowing that yeah. this guy, who was a senior guy in the industry oh, yeah. and a legend in the industry, was asking for my opinion. And Amazing. so, you know, that's been one thing I've tried to kind of remember that when you're, you know, when you're dealing with people, it doesn't matter how, you know, they, they, everyone has has something of to offer yeah. uh, in the room. And so it was a great. He he would have been one of us at TSN, and then um, and then and then when I came back to the NBA, I was at a level where I was kind of. In a way, almost on my own. Like yeah. I had peers, but yes. I didn't. I don't want to say I had a mentor. Yes. Uh, I worked for some fantastic guys out of New York. Who Andrew Messick was one. Mm-hmm. Um, he's now the CEO of Iron Man. Oh wow. Um, uh, Scott O'Neill, mm-hmm. who is now the CEO of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. So Sixers, the Devils, oh, okay. just a unbelievable rock star. Uh, Chris Granger, mm-hmm. who who is now the um, he's now the CEO of the uh, whole uh, Illich. Family Holdings okay, down, in, down Detroit. in Detroit. Yeah. So uh, Amy Brooks, who's now the she's now our chief innovation officer. So mm-hmm. I've had some fantastic. Well, that's what bosses. it is, right? It's just it's just people you've had the pleasure of working with who you've gleaned something from, right? Yeah. And you know we all have bosses in our lives that you uh, hopefully um, take something from them. They're worth yeah. passing something on. You know, I, yeah. in my case, Keith Pelly's one of them. Yep. Um, and and I, I should talk about. Rick, um, for a sec, Chiz, because um, it was, it was uh, you mentioned him, and just to, to stay with him for a sec, um, when I had the pleasure of working for the um, Olympic Media Consortium for the 2010-2012 Olympics, and uh, I worked for Keith, Keith's the one that hired me, and uh, obviously a legend in, in the, the business now, running the European tour for golf um, over in England, um, but Rick was... The, his 2IC for the Olympic project in charge of all production, that magical yeah. production yeah. that we witnessed you know, for, for the games. And you're right, you could not find a more grounded, decent, humble um, guy. He was just, he's just, it, it's his DNA. Yeah. And he would, I watched it day in, day out. He would treat anybody 
just didn't matter what their title was or level was, he would treat them with respect. A guy, another guy like that was Tom Wright. Um, yep. Is Tom Wright, uh, who was commissioner of the CFL. I had I had an interesting point in my career where um, I worked with Tom Wright. So Spalting? So, no, no, no. Tom Wright was or at Adidas. no. Was Tom it? Wright was at shut up. level five. <laughs> okay. So so I was I was I had just begun reporting to, I think it was Granger. And uh, and I was feeling and, and mentorship was on my mind, mm-hmm. so I went to Chris and said, "Listen, like I, I need someone I can bounce ideas off of." There's all, at the time, the, lots of major decisions in the yeah. business were happening, strategic decisions, and you know, Chris didn't have time to spend on some of the stuff, and also didn't know the Canadian market or the players. So, I he, anyway, he, David Kincaid is someone who I met through my days at TSN, and I chatted with Kincaid, and he had just brought Tom Wright on. Oh. So for about a year. Uh, I we paid level five and mm-hmm. I and just for is almost you had, it, it, you it was for, the year. I had the year, so I had a paid mentor. Yeah, and but more than just paid. I mean, Tom was fantastic, He's a and, and he would just he'd take the time and he'd listen and he'd provide his you know his advice and his anecdotes and yeah, I found it immensely valuable. Oh yeah, I, I would be at a dinner with a top partner at the CFL, so I was heading up partnerships. Tom was a commissioner. We'd take out a top partner, but. The, I've said this before, uh, some listeners might remember, um, you know, the waiter or the busboy or whatever at a restaurant uh, would come or, and he would treat them as well as he would, uh, he'd lean in and mention their name and ask yeah. them a question as he treat them like he would treat the head of the partner, you know, yeah, yeah. he's just uh, that kind of guy. Yeah. Um, so um, before we leave the topic of great leaders, you've you're working in a sport that um, has uh, had a legendary commissioner, David Stern, mm-hmm. and those shoes were enormous to fill, and they've been filled tremendously well. I mean, the consensus is Adam Silver is is uh, has done an exceptional job. So you've had these two commissioners on mm-hmm. your watch. Yep. Um, just talk a little bit about those two guys. I sure. don't know how much you know dealings, but I'm sure you've 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 had deals. I have, yeah, and I would say, um, I mean, David Stern was um, legendary, is <laughs> what you described it, and he was, he was a legend, and when I, you know, when I, when I started, he had already been the commissioner for, you know, 20-something years, um, and, you know, I'll never, I mean, David was the kind of guy who, he was tough, he was very tough. And he was the kind of guy that when you, when you, he would never ask you a question that he didn't know the answer to. So mm-hmm. when you went into a meeting with David Stern, and I used to meet with him normally once a year for sure, sometimes twice a year, and I would prepare for weeks before <laughs> those meetings. And you go into the room, and he would always come up with something that you didn't know. Mm-hmm. So I, half the time I'd say, David, I'm sorry, I don't know. Let me get back to you. And and, and then he'd almost, he'd almost back off because he knew he kind of got you, and then he could go on with the meeting. But um, very, just, you know, brilliant. But the one thing about David was he really did care about you. Like he, and there's many stories across the NBA of people getting, and, you know, I, I got yelled at by David multiple times. Wow. But, you know, I'll never forget. It's a bit of a personal story. Is it the day my mom died, mm. suddenly. Mm. Um, she died through the night <laughs> a few years ago. And it was right at the end of his tenure. It was right, mm. like it was literally, he had maybe... This was in September, and he was retiring in February. So I'll never forget, I wake up, uh, I go to bed at like 4 o'clock in the morning, whatever, and I called my boss before I went to sleep just to say, listen, here's what happened, sudden, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I wake up, it's about, I don't know, 8 in the morning, and there's a message on my cell. 
wow. from David Stern. And he just says, hey, Dan, um, I'm thinking about you. You need yeah. something, you call me. Wow, wow, wow. So. Yeah, who? it's hard, yeah, to, to uh, you know, to even recall those stories, but uh, that's a special person who would take the time, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. He, he, was, he was great that way, but tough. And then you have, you have Adam, who is just... So I mean, Adam is—he's—he's he's, he's one of these people. He's brilliant. Like you, yeah. I, we go down—I go down every quarter for our Q, a quarterly business review, and I—I I look so forward to it. Just yeah. to sit in a room with him for a day and hear what's on his mind and the way he, mm. the way he views things. Um, he's amazing. Um, so his but, biggest difference between David and Adam—would you say he—he's got the toughness, or he's not as tough? And he's—is he subject to? An outburst in a meeting as well. No, not no, like no. He, he's he, not. He, he doesn't. He's, he's not. Yeah. He, I wouldn't say that they're stylistically very different. Uh, he's tough. Yeah, and he can be tough, and he makes yeah. tough decisions. I think the one thing that Adam has done a really, really great job of is I think Adam's got a real. Um, Adam's just got this natural ability to cut to the point. Like, what mm. makes sense? Like, any question that comes down the pike, like, what's the right thing to do? What's what what what's logical? What mm. makes you know do the do the research. Look at the data mm. and make the right decision. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of what, and, and, you know, and also do it with a, you know, with, with an eye on on doing the right thing. And yeah. you know, a perfect example would be, um, and having the guts to do the right thing. A perfect yeah. example would be the, you know, when uh, North Carolina changed their bathroom law. Yes. And we had we had announced that we were going to be having All Star there. I remember hearing so through my boss Mark Tatum, who's the deputy commissioner. Mm-hmm. Um, them, he was telling me about you know the meeting to to make the decision what they were going to do. And it was very clear what they were going to do. They, they were like, what's the right thing to do? Uh-huh. And so they made the decision, and they, it was a tough decision, and it, was, it wasn't. It was, we, we switched All-Stars six months from the event. Wow, um, that's right. As you know, that. you've run great, yeah. great cups. It's not easy to do, yeah. but it was the right thing to do. And, and so being able to, you know, do the right thing, no matter, no matter the consequence, it's, yes. it's, it, this is what we stand yeah. for. If we're going to live by our values, that's, this is what we have to yeah. do. Um, and he's he's not afraid to, to do that. He's not mm-hmm. afraid to make the tough decision. He'll follow through, and he, you've seen it time in and time out. And he also is a play, is a is a commissioner who, you know, has a very good relationship with the players' association mm-hmm. and the players. And and I think the players appreciate him in a way because he um, he does what just makes sense. Well, he's so, socially aware, right? He's aware of the social causes, yeah. um, which. Probably, if you ask some of the NFL players, they might they might uh, challenge that with their leadership. But I don't think you'd catch an NBA player um, questioning if uh, uh, you know their commissioner um, is 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 has his finger on the pulse when it comes to social yeah. causes, social justice, things like that. Yeah, yeah. he's been great. He he has, and I think he he's listened to their concerns. I mean, we, you know, one of the things we did last season is we. Um, and he lets we, them have a voice. I've we, heard him say that. Yeah, yeah and, he encourages and, them. And, and then he, and he'll make changes to our systems yeah. where it make where, you know where it makes sense. One of the things that he did last year is he shortened the preseason and lengthened lengthened the regular season so that we could have more players could have more rest. Yeah, and and, and that was something. If you talk to the players, they would have said you know two or three years ago, yeah, lots of back to back, lots yeah. of four and fives. So Adam said, well, let's change it. Why do we have to have a whatever four week preseason? Let's have a three week preseason. So yeah. let's just do it. And, and we, you know, and again, not not willy nilly, but work through the process. Mm-hmm. It t- took a lot of work from our basketball operations group. To well, I think anybody who guys. doesn't work in sports cannot appreciate how difficult that is because of all the 
you've, you've got uh, every team works uh, plays in an arena that has other tenants. Yep. Yep. You know, the schedule, you play with the schedule, the trickle-down effect and the combinations and permutations. It's, it's yep. remarkable that yep. it's not as easy as just saying, okay, we'll, strength, we'll lengthen it and we'll just play on different dates, right? Yeah, yeah. you're right. Um, that's great. Uh, let's, let's pivot uh, to partnership programs. I want the listeners to hear about uh, with these chats, um, sponsorship or partnership programs. And, and we'll start with one that you've, you've really been influential in, in ushering along or bringing into, bringing to life. Why, why you think about it, um, yep. you know, tell us a little bit about it. Sure. So I'd say probably the one that I'm most proud of recently has been uh, the activation of NBA crossover, which is a one of the things about the NBA that we often hear from partners when you say to them, why would you want to do a deal with the NBA? Um, they, they'll talk about the fact that the NBA is not just about the game and not just about basketball, but, it, but basketball can transcend into areas like music and fashion and lifestyle and technology and culture. And so um, NBA crossover is the first activation we've ever done, and we just did it. We're just coming off our first activations ever in Vancouver, Montreal, that attempt to kind of bring that to life and what that looks like. And so I would say I personally didn't have a lot to do with it in terms of the execution of it or the thought process. So I have have a, a couple of... It's like the I am Canadian Molson thing where, where over the years, I think I've met, you know, 20 different people who created that program. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so nice yeah. to hear somebody who say, actually, I'm happy to give the credit to somebody yeah. else. Yeah. So it was a combination. The credit yeah. should go to in Can- the Canadian ac- ac- activations to on my team would be Ron Goldenberg yeah. uh, and Jonathan Chang, who both good, good did, a, did a great job bringing it to life. Uh, we hired we hired a, a, an agency out of Vancouver called Victory, who, who okay. was fantastic to work with. Okay. Um, so I'm really proud of that activation because it wasn't it wasn't a linear activation. Oh. It was very um, artistic. It was oh. very uh, there's a million ways you could kind of bring it to life. And what they did and the angle that they took, which I really thought was fantastic, is they they um, had the activation come to life through the lens of the basketball culture of the city. So they hired artists from the city who were basketball fans, but who who the art they created in Crossover was all through the lens of Vancouver, in Vancouver, and all through the lens of the basketball community in Montreal and Montreal. And the, res- the final results were, were great. And, and this is visual art? Visual, a combination, visual yeah. art. Um, fashion art. Fashion. Music. Exactly, music, technology. So we, we brought partners aboard. So we, Foot Locker and 2K were the two partners who really helped okay, fund it. I was going to ask. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah. And so, uh, and the great thing about it is we, it was one of those programs that, you know, we didn't, if, if, you, if you did an analysis of the ROI in terms of man hours and stress yeah, yeah. compared to the dollars, it wasn't sure. a super profitable venture, but it, it definitely was, it was it, for the first year of the event, while we were uh, at Crossover in both places, we had multiple other partners see this and say, wow. I can see how this could help my brand. I'd love to yes. be involved next year in some way, shape, or form. And the other thing it did for us is in a world, we talked earlier about, about digital and technology, the entire way, it was free to the public, but yes. the way you got into crossovers, you had to register with us. Yes. So it was a really great opportunity for us to capture data, to begin to have a digital relationship with fans. 
and um, I'm sure sort of shareable content was was huge off part the of charts. It. it was right? a huge part of it. Yep. And we yeah. brought in. We brought. We had in, in Vancouver. We actually worked with the SMCC and yeah. did a did a panel the one day. We had in uh, we had players. So we had Isaiah Thomas and mm. the Matrix, Sean Marion. Mm. And, Mo Pete did some stuff. Gary Payton. Mm, so the we glove. had the glove. Yeah. We, so we we had a variety of, of athletes. We had um, we had uh, again business forums. We had uh, there were tournaments and anyway like the two yeah. K stuff. It was good. It was it was really well done. So so what was that when you conceived this? Was it driven by a partner's um, needs or was it driven by um, what was what was the genesis of it? Why did it come about? Yeah, it, it well for two reasons. One. Um, Partners um, continually have asked us, "How can I tap into the, you know, the lifestyle of the NBA? Yeah. What, what's the what's the what's the manifestation the of that, right? Yeah. And how can you bring it to life?" So this was the way to do it. Now again, I'm proud of the fact that it was localized. Yeah. But it was localized because the second part of the answer is it's been done in other NBA markets. Gotcha. So so we did this in Europe a couple of years ago. We've done it before at All Star, but we do we just never done it in Canada. So mm. I think what we what we did here is we really tried to make it Canadian and make it you know make it relevant to the markets Absolutely. and that, that was the thing that was I think what I'm so proud of and again really proud of my guys for the way they brought it to life good stuff love that um, and, um, and and last question on that uh, is um, were there any uh, like success metrics that you can think of not not necessarily rhyming off the stats but how was the effectiveness of it measured or tracked? Was yep. it number of registrants? In that case, you you say you had to be you had to sign up, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, was it a success from that perspective? So I'd say a few things. Like one would be that was definitely a metric. So the goal was a certain in each market a certain number of registrants. So absolutely, that was part uh -huh. of it. Um, part of it was sharing social uh -huh. all, all the social metrics that you would you would think. So. Um, shares, likes, um, and did somebody track that? A yep. third party or internally? Internally, internally, yep. you yep. share track that. Okay. Yeah, we track all that. We have a team that does that. Uh -huh. um, and then I'd say the third element would have been was sponsor satisfaction. Yeah. So right now it, it was only two partners, and it's uh -huh. anecdotal. But the feedback we've received was sure. that we loved it. We want to do it again. And partners and partners who weren't part of the activation yeah. have said it on you know we're talking about a group we had ten partners overall involved with the Canada series a pretty significant group of that ten are interested in being a part of it next year good so. great um, what about you know we don't we 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 get to witness so many different programs that we aren't a part of that uh, we admire catch our attention in the market other yeah. properties do it other sports other sectors of the industry anything that stands out there that you you yeah. really find cool and why yeah i mean i i think um you know one of the um the one program that and again it's been talked about through the smcc and you know it gets a ton of kudos every year is, is hockeyville right yeah craft hockeyville and you know I, you and i both know the guys mm -hmm. who helped put that together uh jim kozak and his team when they when he was at craft mm -hmm. um and the thing that just that just I think why I'm so impressed by that program is two things. One, you know, I organize uh, uh, exhibition games for the league, and I know how hard it is to to do, and to get teams to play in venues like that, and just the logistical, mm. you know, um, back to my event days, the logistical operational piece of organizing a game in a in a market that might have you know a, a 500 seat arena to me is fascinating. Yeah. How they make that look and feel, and they have a national broadcast and. It's amazing, um, and secondly, 
it sells, it moves product, right? And so the, if you talk to those guys about, you know, how much incremental floor space it secures at, you know, Loblaws uh-huh. and Safeway, and, 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 and they do it across multiple um, uh, retailers too, which is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Um, it, it's mind-blowing. And then they, 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 and the other program would be their, the stuff they've done with TSN, I think the celebration tour. Yeah. And, I mean, just the, I think in sponsorship, we all love to talk about the, you know, the crossovers of the world, yeah. which are artistic and fun and exciting. And, but, you know, nuts and bolts of sponsorship is, did this work? Did yeah. this move product? And I think that when you, you know, again, I don't, I, I don't know the latest metrics from Kraft, sure. but back when some of my friends were working there and you hear them talk about kind of some of the metrics, it was a, it was a pardon the pun, but a slam dunk in terms yeah. of, in terms of, <clears throat> you know, working yeah. in terms of moving product, and that's always in, when you're talking about sponsorship marketing, what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. That's always, you know, in, in, in for the categories where that's important, it's it's the number one box you need to check, and this yeah. this this program did that. Good stuff. Um, let's um, wrap with a couple of things more on um, advice and habits and things like that. I I, I always enjoy just you know asking people who have had success what 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 do they attribute that success to so we'll start with that uh, you know um, um, I jokingly remind people that I do one arm pull-ups every morning just to get the blood flowing um, uh, I'm sure you do too right um, what's what do you what do you do to kind of what are your habits well I think one of the, the one habit that I have it's not a habit it's actually just the, my life in terms of where I live. So I, I actually, I mentioned earlier that I'm from Guelph originally. Mm-hmm. After growing up, after meeting my wife in Toronto and living in Toronto for a bunch of years, we ended up moving back to Guelph. And people here oh, wow. think I'm crazy that I live in Guelph. And so it's, so, you know. Still? Yeah. Okay. So I, did, so, I, so I moved back. That. Yeah. So I have, okay. I, have a, I have a 90 minute commute every day. <laughs> so, um, so which again, so I'm going to get to the thing yeah. that it is. But yeah. what it has forced me to do is I take the train. Yeah. I have a long train ride every day. So I find I get an hour every morning of pretty much uninterrupted yes. time to sort of set my day up and, and do what I need to. So I, I like that. So in terms of finding the time to, finding that time in your day when you're uninterrupted to really focus on, you know, I really have some good mind time mm-hmm. um, is, is important to mm-hmm. me. So that's, that's but it's, it's a bit of a function of, of where I live. Um, and then I'd say the second thing that I would say, I think if you, if you said to people, you know, um, if you ask somebody, you know, you know, tell me about Dan or why you think he might be successful. I think what people might say is that um, he's a good listener and he asks a lot of questions. And so, um, great you know, advice. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a you know, and 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 probably he's not very judgmental. Like I, mm. you know, you talk to lots of people, and I think that's just kind of the way I was raised by my parents. But I don't get too hung up on. Generally, unless it's something really egregious, I don't get too upset very often yeah. about how people treat me or treat this office or whatever. You kind of you roll with it, and, and you, and I think that kind of comes across. So everybody's a little bit less stressed, a little more relaxed, a little more focused on. And the, I'd say the probably the third thing would be, you know, focus on the important things. Yeah. And the important yeah. things, both business wise, because let's not kid ourselves. Like you know, we're in this business to yeah. hit our targets and make money and do all those things. So. You know, and, and there's a lot of noise, especially nowadays with smartphones and phone, you know, and, and emails going off and text messaging and all these other things that can distract you to continually come back to what are we trying to do here, guys? What's the objective? What's the, you know, 
what are we why? for? Why? Where are we spending our time? And is it the best? You know, the best place for us to spend our time? I think that's really, really important. And then I think the other piece of it is if you can do that well, you know, there's other parts of your life that are important too. So trying to have a bit of a balance to say, mm-hmm. okay, you know what? I mean, we work in sports, and you know, I'm not w- too worried about if if I walk in here at 9 a.m. on a on a Wednesday and no one's here, as long as the work's getting done. Mm-hmm. You know, because we're in sports, they might have been up till midnight last night with a client, That's or right. maybe they're on a plane to Montreal to pitch a partner, or maybe they're, you know, they were just doing a camp for a bunch of kids that's going to start at seven a.m. Like, yeah, like it's it's th- that that old that kind of old. You're school right. Mentality there there used really to be matter. this idea that you you, know, you had to show face between nine and five, right? Yeah. yeah. And we're in this world of um, you know where you're always on, and uh, you're right, especially in our field. Um, you know, event-based marketing and and, and business uh, is has no has no timetable. So, we kind of you know flexible work hours and mm-hmm. and that I think has become a, a big trend. So it's good to see you've embraced that. Yep. And that's great. I, I could see a calm leadership uh, is important, right? Because you're you're always going to have issues. I mean, one one philosophy I've always imparted is to people I've led is. Share good news fast, but share bad news faster, right? Yeah. Like there's going to be yeah. challenging news. Yeah. Don't sit on it and dwell and, and fret over how it's going to be received. Let's put it out on the table. Yeah. We won't overreact to it, yeah. and we'll solve it <clears throat> instead of spinning your wheels. Um, and I think a lot of what you said reminds me of that, uh, one of my core beliefs. So that's good. That's, that's true. We had a, so when I reported to Scott O'Neill, um, the guy who's now with the Sixers, he used to have a creed and a credo. I remember the first day I sat down with him. Um, so, you know, I had a new reporting structure. I'd go to New York to meet my new boss. And I sit down with him, and just like this, and he said, I'll never forget, he said, all I care about is these three things. He said, and the three things were no surprises, which talks to the notion yes. of, you know, good news and bad news. Yes. Like, I, I need, you know, I don't want to be surprised on, yeah. by anything. Let's get it out. The second thing was... Uh, I expect my team to pull for each other, so cheer each other, help each other, you know, share, share, share. And the third thing was, um, I expect my team to be the best in the world, hmm. which meant it meant the best in the world coming from where he was coming yeah, from, yeah. Harvard grad and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But it also meant if you were gonna put something in front of him, yeah, it damn well better be your best work. Yeah. Don't yeah. give him, don't put shit in front of him. Yeah. Like, and so that that sort of ethos um, permeated through the entire group and it was the you know for that time period when he was in charge it was and it's still it's still a great group this is the team group yeah. um, you know some of the best people in the world in sports I love but, that but it came from those three things and then you know the next leader kind of tweaked it and put their own spin on it but I'll, but for, for, the, for I, I, it's been 10 years since I reported to Scott and, still and, and I remember those yeah, three yeah. things yeah. I was I was I was listening intently there. I was, I was expecting almost you to uh, to hear you uh, kind of have trouble remembering one of them, but you 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 nailed it. Yeah. Uh, that's that's great. Let's wrap with um, there'll be some listeners who want to. We talk about it. We've been very lucky to work in the fields yeah. we've worked in. Um, you know, now I'm running my own shop, and but I still um, am immersed in the world of of uh, sport and entertainment sponsorship marketing and touch other sectors now like mass transit um, and uh, you know we, we're, we're
we're very lucky and I think we're two guys that don't take for granted that um, there's a lot of people who would love to break in um, you know I, I, when I walked into your your lobby on the ground floor I must have seen a handful of suits and all that and you know mm -hmm. uh, everybody dressed up um, I'm sure many of them coming to to try and get a job here or at MLSE or whatever the case may be what any any advice uh, for people yeah um, and you're totally right we are lucky and it's a tough field to get into and it's gotten tougher like yeah. like you would probably agree if we were both trying to get in now yeah. we probably wouldn't be able to no. get through no what I was I think the one thing I would say would be um, and we, you and I talked a bit about a couple of people who we who work for me now who have been able to get in and break through um, I think um, it comes my, my piece of advice would be to um, try to find a way to differentiate yourself from the field and but but to not do it to do it in a way that's a I'll say the word appropriate yes so there are some people who will say you know if I phone somebody every day for 10 days straight until they call me back that's my way to get in and I'd say for some people that might work for some people mm -hmm. it doesn't work mm -hmm. so there was this one of the rename uh, I won't mention who it is but there's a, a guy who works for me who when he was being hired we had there were two piles that uh, his boss was I looking know at story. You know, the story and yeah. ultimately he ended up breaking through so he sent in his resume and his and just based purely on his resume he wasn't going to make it into the interview pile and what he did was he so he sent in the resume on a Thursday and then on the Sunday he sent in a little video that he shot that talked about why he you know why he'd be a great person for the role and it was short it was appropriate it was powerful it was and it really was for him the job he was applying for required him to be able to translate you know thoughts and emotion into into video and or into storytelling and so he he sent the hiring manager the video on Sunday night and said listen I know you have my resume and I know you're gonna making some, be making some decisions next week and who you're going to interview. Just this, this, this will explain why I'm so interested. So the hiring manager watched the video, and they dug out his, his resume, <laughs> and they put it in the interview pile. It didn't get him the job, right. but he put him, got him the interview, and then every single interview he came for, he was super prepared, um, asked fantastic questions, you know, was, again, came across, he was a rock star, and yeah. he just... And he just and he, you know, who, every he, who, and we won't mention him, but who was working, um, I not think even in sports, in a family window business or yeah. whatever it was. Uh, um, it is amazing. Yeah, that's a great. But 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 it's it's about he took the time, and, and I have another guy who who, yeah. who works for me now, who I interviewed, or who I hired a couple years ago. Similar situation in the interview, um, it, it was for a social media job, and I said to him, I said, what he was telling me how how much he understood social media. And how much and how he really knew what 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 drives people's attention and keeps people attention people's attention on the screen mm. and so he was explaining it to me and I could tell he was really passionate about it so after and this was in the interview process so after the interview um, again like a couple days later he sends me or the next night I think it might have been that night or the next night he sends me a, a, a link and he said listen I've mocked up a couple videos to show you what I meant I, I wasn't sure if you kind of understood what I meant here's what I mean and he, he, he showed a bunch of videos and how he would how they were, you know how they were how, how they were executed on someone's platform and how he would sort of what he would focus on, and again and, and he was also somebody who after I did the first round of interviews he might have been I think I interviewed ten people and he might have been number five right and I, and I wasn't sure if I was going to interview four or five more people he was right on the cusp 
And once I got that interview, I thought, oh, this, this guy's, you know, yeah. he took what we talked about, he internalized it, he acted, and he separated himself. Nobody else did that. It's shocking to me, you know, it, it, small analogy, small related story is, you know, you and I both will go, you know, George Brown, right, go back and yep. speak to the classes, yep. go to uh, do that at Schulich and other schools, and always um, put it out there that I'm happy to connect, yeah. uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, reach yeah. out, set up a coffee, yeah. and you know there might be 50 people in the class, and it is unbelievable how, how few. Follow up. And so the ones who do, I'm happy to give them the time yeah. um, and an interview. And that opening, you would think that everybody would would want to take that chance, separate themselves, and it's remarkable how few people do it. Um, so do it and you'll be amazed that you might be the only one yeah and or one or two and you incrementally exponentially increase your chances so let me tell you a story that that, that is is talks to that exact point and had a fantastic ending and this might be a good way to end this thing yeah um last winter <clears throat> i spoke at guelph university i'm from guelph right i didn't go to guelph but I, i'm from there so scott mcroberts the new ad says listen you got to come in and talk to my class it's an events class, so I, can't, I would go into the class. It's the middle of February, uh, freezing cold night, and I I, I talk about All Star because All Star was literally a year before uh, was NBA All Star. Yeah, in, which uh, was another freezing night. Was another freezing <laughs> night, exactly, exactly. I know it was two years after. Yeah. Anyway, so I talk about All Star, and um, and at the end of the session, I said exactly what you said. I said, "Listen, I live in Guelph. I'd be happy to have, you know, to, to make some time to have a coffee with anyone if they're interested." And I left some cards on the desk. Uh, and I, I think the room, there might have been maybe 100 students. Hmm. Two students followed up with me. Unbelievable. All right. So two students followed up. Two students. Two out, out, two out of 100. So that's fine. So, so the, the yeah, two follow up. Good, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> so the yeah. two follow up. Yeah. And, we, and, and actually, they, we, they were follow up within the similar window. So we, and I said, listen, let's just do it together. So rather than have do, do it twice, yeah. just do it once. So I met with these two students um, at a coffee shop in Guelph. And the girl, well, the, there's a, a man and a woman, and the yeah. woman said, both fourth years, said, she actually, I was asking them about where, you know, their experience and what they've done in the past, and she had worked for Sportsnet as an intern the year before, uh, the summer before, and she loved it and whatever, but, you know, it was just an internship, and I think it was a family connection that got her in. But both of them, the way they followed up, very appropriate, you know, short little email, very accommodating with my schedule, mm-hmm. whatever, met them, they were both dressed appropriately, they both mm-hmm. came up, they asked the right questions, that you, you could, yeah. the vibe you could get from both, I didn't know them very well, but yeah. the vibe I got from both of them was, these are two sharp young yeah. students who should have an opportunity, if, and yeah. if I can help them, I will. So, have the coffee, whatever. Fast forward to, that was February, Fast Mar- I think we had the coffee in March, like second week of April, I get an email from the, the woman who um, who uh, worked at Sportsnet, and she said, um, "Hey, there is a job for a coordinator, a marketing coordinator at TSN. Can you do you know anyone there? I know you worked there. Do you know anyone there who can help?" So I literally so so, so I, I got the I got the email at I think it was like nine fifty three in the morning on whatever day it was. I flipped it to Mark Millier at nine fifty four, yeah. someone who I deal with all the time. Sure. I just said, listen, don't know this person that well, but I got a really good vibe from her. And she worked at sports, she got a good experience. Um, he flipped it at 9.55 to Chris Taylor, who's the hiring manager, who I know as well. Yeah. 
Chris Taylor flips it back to me at 9.56 and says, yeah, I'd love to meet her. <laughs> and by 10 o'clock, yeah. she's, she's, on, their she's on their radar. She got the job. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. So it's, it's a, that's a process of her sitting in that room. She could have made a the decision really, to not. It wasn't a hard step for her to take, right? She, no. She reached out. She, yeah. She just came prepared and yeah. followed up, right? Followed up. Followed up. Be present. Followed up in the right way. Be available. Yeah. Great story. Yeah. Listen, thank you. You're uh, welcome. That was yeah, great. You know, thank you. What I love with these is, is you know, we've we've known each other professionally for a number of years and SMCC and mutual acquaintances and events, but you really peel the layers and get to know, you know, the teacher, being a teacher, being a coach. Mm -hmm. uh, early on in our chat, uh, that stood out to me that you were somebody who kind of didn't just accept being a teacher. You leaned in and and veered outside the lane a bit, and that ends, ends up creating an opportunity that's led to a 19-year career, more than that, but at the NBA, mm -hmm. and being one of the leaders in sports and sponsorship marketing in the country, and it's just those early starts and decisions we make, so it's just been really cool um, hearing a little bit more about you, so thanks Thank for doing you. this. Appreciate the time. Um, Folks, uh, uh, that's been another installment of uh, the Influencers of Sponsorship Marketing series. Thank you for listening. Uh, stay tuned to my uh, LinkedIn feed, and um, uh, I'll be releasing these every couple weeks, and they'll also be available on my website at rothrevenue.com. Thanks.